there are so many impacts of COVID on systems themselves. There's this periods of reduced mixing leading to increased susceptibility. Um, there are the ongoing changes in social behaviour. But, you know, my, my kind of analogy is we're moving from COVID as centre stage to backdrop. Hello and welcome to Contain This. I'm Robin Davies, the head of Australia's Indo-Pacific Centre for Health Security at the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade. The current phase of Australia's health security initiative for the Indo-Pacific is coming to a close in the middle of 2022. I recently visited Melbourne to chair a round table on future funding priorities with a group of experts there. One of those experts was Professor Jody McVernon. Jody is head of epidemiology at the Peter Doherty Institute for Infection and Immunity. She's a physician with subspecialty qualifications in public health and vaccinology. She has extensive expertise in clinical vaccine trials, epidemiologic studies and mathematical modelling of infectious diseases gained at the University of Oxford, the Health Protection Agency London and the University of Melbourne. Jody and I talked about how DFAT and the Doherty Institute have worked together to help governments in the Indo-Pacific track and respond to COVID-19. Jody explained how DFAT and the Doherty Institute's Data for Decision-Making Partnership helped strengthen systems and inform clinical decision-making. Our conversation reminds us of the importance of data for effective epidemic preparedness and response. I hope you enjoy the conversation. So Jody, maybe if you could just introduce yourself first. Hi, I'm Jody McVernon. I'm Director of Epidemiology at the Peter Doherty Institute for Infection and Immunity. And I thought I'd start by just um, looking back on some of the activities that DFAT has funded the Doherty to support under the Health Security Initiative over the last five years. Um, be interested to get your quick description of what those were and are and uh, how they went and in particular how they pivoted when, when the pandemic hit. Sure. So I think the um, activities that have been funded here really reflect that strength of the Doherty, which is its span of clinical laboratory and public health capacity. So the activities have ranged from you know, laboratory strengthening and capacity building um, through the Combat AMR project, which is really thinking about infection prevention and control and bringing on that clinical expertise as well as a One Health uh, focus. Uh, and the Spark Consortium that I lead is focused on um, efficient and effective use of health information to support decision-making about infectious diseases strategy and policy uh, using epidemiologic and modelling approaches. So, you know, together all of those projects sort of encompass the core elements of, you know, preparedness, surveillance, response um, and strategic thinking really too about how those parts of the system fit together. If we go to a particular case, Papua New Guinea, um, where obviously... Uh, obtaining good data on um, disease outbreaks in general, COVID in particular, is, is pretty difficult. Um, what, what sort of support were you able to provide to the PNG government? So in PNG, um, we've played a number of roles. Part of that has been about um, advising on different forms of information gathering. So in particular, thinking about zero surveillance and how um, information from zero surveillance can best be captured, you know, what the sort of best survey designs are that might be uh, efficient and effective and, and provide insights into changes and trends over time to help inform estimates of population exposure and also ongoing vulnerability to infection. 
Um, we've worked on models that have looked at mobility around the country and thinking about, uh, you know, given points of entry um, based on, you know, um, key international movements, um, how that might affect um, dissemination around the country, particularly around peak periods of mixing and, and just even a heads up on how long it might take to detect uh, importation and dissemination, that this wouldn't necessarily be something within weeks, but maybe several months in some areas to try to preempt surveillance needs for response. And we've also looked at um, scenario modelling. So, you know, early in the pandemic and then revised as we understood more about the impact of COVID in the region um, to try to anticipate health services needs and likely clinical impacts as we've moved through different waves um, of the pandemic to, to try to inform preparedness for response. Mm. So the, the partnership that, that we, the, the DFAT has with Doherty on modelling is, is it's about data for decision making. It's not about data for its own sake. Um, have you seen good examples where the sort of advice that's been provided by the Doherty has been incorporated into decision making, you know, on the allocation of health resources? Yes. So, you know, I think um, some of that work uh, around preparedness and response has, I understand, been very useful in helping to inform system strengthening and thinking about likely clinical capacity and need. And it's helpful hearing feedback on that to think about, for example, in, in mobility in PNG, you know, how might that help to anticipate where oxygen requirements might be um, needed over time as an epidemic evolves? You know, there, there's some nice sort of practical examples where I think we can, can build and, and do better. Um, working in French Polynesia, I think that was probably the data richest country and that was a, a mediated through, uh, through Wipro Regional Office but has been a really helpful partnership um, and certainly anticipating likely exceedance of capacity um, and, and helping to make the case for support um, from overseas partners to anticipate that. But then also moving forward, thinking about when peak epidemics are achieved and whether that capacity might actually not be exceeded. So in different waves, we, we saw sort of different scenarios unfold informed by our understanding of what happened before. So I think this sort of iterative approach to learning and doing and, and going back and giving advice again, um, I think we were able to give better advice by the process of doing that. Uh, and, and then in other situations um, in Fiji, we were involved a lot of the time modelers get involved in sort of strategic discussions about thinking about best testing strategies um, during incursions and in, and in um, determining whether community transmission was being established, also discussions about um, reactive vaccine strategy um, during outbreaks and, and um, really helping to think through the situational assessment and from that, based on what was happening with epidemics, you know, provide advice and provide some input into strategic thinking about, about what policies might be most effective and where to distribute resources around things like vaccination as opposed to public health response. You know, I think these are ongoing challenges that need to be addressed. Mm. And the Doherty's sort of providing advice but also undertaking capacity building for people within health ministries or public health institutes. Um, over the past two years or so, where we haven't been able to have face-to-face -face interactions, has it been possible to continue some of that capacity building? Look, we've tried, but clearly it's been limited, um, you know, by our inability to travel, by our partners' similar inability to travel and all of our you know, overwhelm with the requirements of addressing um, needs in our local environments as well. So our partners have been swamped um, with having to, to address their COVID response. We have been able to continue to engage in um, regional training activities through TEFINET and SafetyNet and some of the field EPI networks. And we've been able to identify and appoint um, 
students and, and postdoctoral researchers in country, particularly um, in recent years. But the most exciting thing this year is actually being able to travel. And, you know, we had visitors from Vietnam last week and uh, postdoc researchers from Vietnam, Thailand uh, and Indonesia attending a workshop for our early mid-career researchers in Townsville uh, just this week. So it was great to see that happen, to see people finally meet face-to-face and develop the relationships that are so important for, for trust and confidence in asking questions and, and learning to understand each other. And we're really excited to be rolling out additional in-person trainings this year uh, in Thailand in mid-year and being able to start attending regional conferences and getting people over for learning exchanges. So um, that's incredibly exciting to, to be realising that because, you know, given the urgency as well of questions over the last couple of years where we have partnered with countries, it's largely been in a consultative capacity um, you know, addressing urgent decision needs. But really now we want to build on those relationships and the people we've identified um, to develop the capacity in country to, to, mm-hmm. to develop those questions and respond to them effectively. Now, I think everyone expects, in fact, we're starting to see it, uh, a resurgence of endemic diseases as, as we move, we hope, beyond the, the COVID pandemic. Uh, whether it's measles or malaria uh, or a range of other things. Do you see a role for the Doherty in supporting governments to get a good or a better grip on the dimensions of that resurgence and where and how it might start to hit their health systems? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there are so many impacts of COVID on systems themselves. There's this periods of reduced mixing leading to increased susceptibility. Um, There are the ongoing changes in social behaviour. But, you know, my, my kind of analogy is we're moving from COVID as centre stage to backdrop. So it will continue to have an impact on systems and services. And we see that, you know, in Australia as well. But understanding how um, some of the strengthening that's happened might be able to be sustained, um, how some of the systems that have been severely impacted can be sort of revived and renewed. I think, yeah, we completely understand that this has to be a holistic um, approach moving forward that encapsulates all health needs. Um, and, you know, there are some interesting challenges. You know, what is the role of COVID vaccination moving forward? If there is a role for vaccines in, in preventing severe outcomes, it's probably an adult immunisation platform that's needed, and that doesn't exist in most countries. So, you know, what is the value proposition for those things and how might that impact on other immunisation services and health services? You know, these are the kind of trade-offs that, that need to be considered systemically, uh, I think, moving forward as well. Mm. So where do you think the Doherty can make the biggest contribution in, in your field over the next few years in, in you know, what is a very different public health environment? Look, as modellers, often what we do is help to think about the big picture system um, and we've learned a lot of things about the sources of information that are useful, that are scalable, and we've had to adapt and incorporate different sources of non-traditional data Um, mobility, for example, has been an absolutely critical thing in understanding transmission and and intervention impacts. Uh, We have newer technologies. We have more distributable and scalable technologies like rapid antigen testing and so on. So helping to think through what country information needs are to monitor and respond to disease, trying to help think through what the various modes and technologies are to, um, to gather the necessary information to support you know, early detection, surveillance response and, and recovery. 
just putting together that big picture and helping to work out in a particular context what are the critical things, you know, I think that's that's part of how we can help to think moving forward. And, you know, I, there was a WHO uh, consultation on resilience surveillance systems last night talking about this mosaic of surveillance approaches and that within a, a given country, you know, different tiles in that mosaic are going to be more critical, but, you know, in defining what those are to address the needs and then how those sources of information are brought together I think that's where we would like to help, while at the same time, obviously, continuing the capacity building um, focus of translating that um, that capability in terms of the technical skills of individuals to effectively, you know, uh, analyse and interpret data, but also on the policy side, um, helping decision makers to understand how they can make more effective use of information and support that incorporation of evidence into policy. And, you know, the last two years have certainly um, seen us much more alert. We've learned a lot more as a group of, of, of researchers and, and academics um, in our work with government in Australia and in the region and, and also at global level with WHO. Mm-hmm. And who are you working with at the regional level on surveillance? Is it, is it the very high capacity countries like, you know, Indonesia or Malaysia um, or are you working across, across the whole region? So in our scenario planning, we were working across all focus countries as, as requested. But, yeah, we've worked with a number of different country partners, with ministries of health and, and also with institutes like PNGIMR. Um, so really just trying to uh, work with and support decision makers as those relationships were enabled, either through DFAT or Wipro or others. Um, so primarily uh, in, in PNG, in Fiji, um, in French Polynesia, uh, as I said, those are the countries where we've mer- worked most closely uh, and also engaging now with Samoa uh, to try to support decision-making as they reopen, um, unfortunately, preempted by Omicron. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about the Australian Institute for Infectious Diseases. The, the Doherty Institute is, is one of the alliance partners. Um, if you could just say a bit about um, how you see that, mm. the creation of that institute potentially adding value for some of our partner countries in the region. I know it's mm. it'll probably have a largely domestic focus. Yeah, so so that institute, you know, is is um is an exciting opportunity to really help to consolidate and enable partnerships between um institutions and and um academics who have highly complementary skills and relationships and networks um by co-locating them in, in a single facility and you know, I think COVID made us um, better at working remotely from each other, but we've also learned in re-entry the importance of meeting face-to-face and just being able to see other people and innovate and work together. And um, so I think that provides new opportunities to, to really strengthen and enhance relationships and identify new ways of working with partners that can help to address, you know, these complex, multifaceted needs that really need to be addressed at systematic level. And so, you know, in thinking about how those relationships come together, you know, really being able to more adequately address um, partner-identified challenges uh, with a broader toolkit because there are more people co-located who may bring a new approach or a new capability um, to helping to solve those more complex challenges. And just finally, um, it's been an interesting two years for people who... I guess previously had relatively obscure roles, um, highly technical roles, not not used to appearing in the spotlight. And now, you know, your name is well known to many people. You, you've you've been under a lot of 
pressure to provide your expert perspective on what's happening in Australia and, and in the region. I'm just interested to know how you how have you managed that communication burden alongside your, your normal professional activities? Yeah, so it was kind of, um, life was a little easier when preparedness wasn't sexy, but um, suddenly epidemiologists, well, every, every other person was an epidemiologist, so I guess that shared the load. But no, I, I think, um, you know, very early in the pandemic, back in March 2020, um, colleague convinced me I really needed to, to be at the National Press Club and, and talk about this. And, and you know, it was clear that this wasn't something that I did alongside my work. This is actually a core part of my work. And public communication and engagement is so critical and, and being able to effectively convey information to the public and to decision makers is, is so important for trust and confidence. And um, I actually believe the media overall in Australia did a brilliant job of, of really trying to help convey the truth um, and, and the evidence to the public. Um, and, you know, I learned a huge amount from communicating on a whole range of levels and I also very purposefully grew my friendships with people who were expert in communication like Julie Leesk um, from Sydney, you know, and when there was a new message or a new challenge, really thinking through how to make that message as clear as possible um, without introducing complexities or barbs or challenges. But, you know, I think that that was a fabulous learning curve in terms of really um, focusing my skills. And I got into medicine on public speaking and debating and English literature. So I was always kind of language focused and communication focused, but yeah, sort of had, had to dial up my skills to the next level and, and have learned a lot from that process. But it's a critical part of public health. It must be a bit like being the, the governor of the Reserve Bank commenting on interest rates. So there must be a journalist wanting you to sound dramatic and then public health people wanting you to perhaps downplay risks. Is that difficult to do? Look, I think in the world, whenever we put a message out there, we can convey one of two key things, fear or hope. And um, I guess I saw my responsibility as trying to be a calm voice of reason, conveying something hopeful um, to, to give people that sense of agency at a time when the world was out of control. Mm. Um, I also had the advantage of my teenagers who, if I got too technical or complex, would tell me. Uh, so, you know, I also had them keeping me honest and humble, uh, which is probably also helpful when you're at risk of thinking you're a bit too clever. So, yeah, I, I have no, no danger of doing that. Yeah, no, I think everyone who, who's heard you speaking over the past two years would agree that you've been a calm voice of reason. So thank you very much. Thank you so much, Robin. Lovely to talk to you. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Contain This. I'm Robin Davies, head of the Indo-Pacific Centre for Health Security. You've been listening to my conversation with Professor Jodie McVernon, Director of Epidemiology at the Peter Doherty Institute for Infection and Immunity. Jodie and I spoke at a roundtable discussion on future programming priorities in health security for the Indo-Pacific in Melbourne. We hope to bring you more important conversations from roundtables across the country over the next month or two. As Jodie said, reconnecting face-to-face -face after the separation of the pandemic is vital to learning from our regional response and to future planning. We hope you've enjoyed this conversation. Contained This is produced by the Indo-Pacific Centre for Health Security. You can follow us on Twitter using the handle at CentreHealthSec. Mm -hmm.